Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mr. Sub-A-Dart, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor-comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon... They will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. W.H. Weiscarver, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiscarver, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner program, visit whyscarver.com. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. And this is another one of those times when I remind you, you're listening to live radio, folks. And uh, as such, uh, having a little glitch here, I had originally scheduled for this pre-Halloween edition um, of the Tom Sumner Program, Halloween coming up Sunday, uh, the author of a book about Otto Preminger, the Man Who Would Be King, by Foster Hirsch, and I'm unable to reach Foster this morning. For some reason, he's a uh, professor of film at Brooklyn College. I was really looking forward to including Otto Preminger with the earlier two hours about uh, Alfred Hitchcock. I thought it was a nice uh, grouping for this uh, last show before Halloween, although I will let you know that um, we have a special bonus edition of the Tom Sumner program Sunday. Normally we don't do the show on weekends, but uh, a special collection of old-time radio drama, um, a three-hour Halloween special, if you will, is going to play, at least online. Um, we'll, we'll start it uh, 
from 9 a.m. to noon, and then it'll repeat all day until midnight uh, just for Halloween and uh, features uh, our annual um, revival of the original Orson Welles' War of the World. And then uh, the Tom Sumner program uh, studio players tackle space and um, the inner sanctum. So we'll have some fun radio drama. That's all day Sunday. It's just a, it's just a bonus. It's like a bonus track on a record album. Um, but uh, in any event, I'm going to shift gears and uh, an interview I did um, yesterday, which has not aired yet, with uh, John, Donna Joe Napoli, who's teamed up with National Geographic to collect some. Uh, oh, what do you call it? Yeah. Uh, Treasury of uh, Magical Tales from Around the World is the name of the book. So we'll uh, we'll go ahead and, and uh, air that now, since um, since I'm not able to get a hold of Foster Hirsch. Anyway, that's uh, that's live radio, folks. But fortunately, um, we have Donna. We have Donna Joe to fall back on. So let's go ahead and uh, head on over to that and lots more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner program, and my guest this hour is a professor of linguistics and social justice at Swarthmore College and the author of more than 80 books for children and young adults. She's teamed up with National Geographic for a new tome from them called Treasury of Magical Tales from Around the World. This is uh, actually, uh, it coincides with um, uh, Global Diversity Month, which is October, if you didn't know that. Her name is Donna Jo Napoli, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Donna Jo. Welcome to the show. I am so happy to be here, especially happy because you're in Michigan. I lived in Michigan for seven years. My two youngest children were born were born there. And as a writer, whenever I am invited to Michigan, I always accept no matter how crazy my schedule might be. Oh, that's... I love Michigan. I, what, <laughs> what part of Michigan did you live in? I lived in Ann Arbor. I was okay. teaching at the university. My husband worked in Detroit, and uh, it was just—it was a, a wonderful seven years. Well, we're practically neighbors. <laughs> yes, I've been to Flint. Let's, um, but let's talk about these tales from around the world. Um, there are a couple of things that I wanted to ask about because, um, for a lot of cultures around the world stories are handed down in an oral tradition. When you were compiling this collection, were there any that you had to have told to you, or were you able to find all of these in print? All of the ones that appear in the book, I did find in print. Uh, sometimes uh, in really old books, I had uh, I have a wonderful 
uh, set of librarians at my university, at my college, who will go to great lengths to find me things. Um, I was told some stories by friends, but I was not able to use any of them. Not all traditional stories are um, terribly appropriate for children, or not all of them end in a way that I wanted. Lots of times there are brutal endings, which can be very satisfying if um, the brutality is against the evil person or monster or whatever. Um, but I wasn't looking for that kind of story. So, Well, what were some of the parameters for a story to be considered for this collection? Uh, some were absolutely banal in terms of I just wanted to go around the world. I wanted to pick stories from different places. I did not want this to be a story with uh, a book with any particular leaning. Um, but then I wanted stories with different kinds of issues in them, different kinds of solutions. Um, I wanted stories that would hopefully make you smile at, at, at least at some point, even if it was just at the illogical behavior of the characters. I wanted stories that, particularly, I wanted stories that if you read them with someone, you wanted to keep talking about them. They, they sparked uh, conversation because I think that one of the things that we are lacking these days uh, too often is the ability to converse, the opportunity to converse about very large matters in life. We're very connected to the particulars of today. And these stories are often dealing with how do you live your life? How do you be a decent person? How do you find happiness if you can't change the things you don't like in your life? And those are important things to be talking about with people. How did you and National Geographic get together on this project? Absolutely um, haphazardly. <laughs> a, an editor from... National Geographic wrote to me and said, I read two of your young adult novels that are set in ancient Greece that, um, that are based on Greek mythology. And, you know, she said, I love them. So I wonder if you'd like to do a Greek mythology uh, book for us. And it was like being asked if I wanted to do what I had always wanted to do. I adore mythology. And so we have treasury of Greek mythology, and then we went on to do Egyptian and Norse, and then I did the Arabian tales, and we did um, tales from the Bible, which are all the ancient Bible stories, uh, not, not any New, new Testament. And, um, and now we're, we have the magical tales. So it's, uh, it was serendipity. Um, I feel very lucky. Are, are kids still as fascinated by magic and magical tales as they were when I was growing up way back in the olden days? I, uh, I will be interested to see. But when you look at video games, which are obviously doing something right because it is 
hard to find a group of children uh, sitting together that, where at least one person isn't on uh, a video game. If you look at them, they are fantastical. And what is fantasy except the absolutely unexpected, i.e. the magical? Um, these stories are tamer, perhaps, in terms of they're not technology-driven magic. They are magic of being able to transform and uh, um, magic of being able to uh, give you wishes. It's, uh, it's the kind of magic that we sort of need in life. We need to learn how to transform ourselves when we want to and, um, and how to figure out what our wishes are and strive for them. What um, what can young people get out of magical tales that that translates to real life? <laughs> yeah. Um, Are there so morals to these know. stories? Are there morals? Um, I I don't know. I I don't kind of traffic in morals. Um, I, I don't try to teach um, my readers. I just try to offer an experience. I have obviously lots of hopes, but um, uh, my hopes will be dashed if I if I treat them as uh, real goals. But um, I think that, especially for younger children, um, but even for older people, even for me. An awful lot about modern day life is magical. I was at a lecture a couple of uh, months ago at which a astrophysicist uh, showed us photographs of things happening in the universe billions of years ago. And it was a photograph right now. Now, if you are a physicist, you don't understand this is magic, but as me, this is magic. <laughs> it's like time travel. And um, I, I think that a lot of things about modern life feel magical. You just kind of have to accept the premise and move with it. Now, I was. But what I like. Go ahead. Ah, sorry. No, no, go ahead. What I like about these, these stories is that um, there's a great sense of. Uh, being able to adjust to new situations, uh, being forgiving about uh, characters who have done rotten things to you. There is rarely, a, in these stories, a sense of, okay, you've been bad, let's get rid of you. More about magical tales from around the world with National Geographic contributing writer Donna Joan Napoli, straight ahead. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Hello. Speaking. Oh dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My Robocall Crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More about magical tales from around the world with National Geographic contributing writer Donna Jo Napoli straight ahead. Donna Jo, is there... Um, I, I was reading some press about um, about this collection, and, and it's a great for all ages, but every press release I read about a book says, great for all ages. Um, is there an age group that benefit that can benefit most from this collection? I, I wouldn't know. Um, do, would I it do. make would it make good bedtime stories? Oh yes, absolutely. You could end one of these stories and feel like it had resolved itself in a satisfying way, and so you can fall asleep. Um, it, there are no cliffhangers. In, in these stories, although there are some that end in a way you might not have expected at all. Like there's one guy who's um, very boastful and foolish, and he winds up doing something um, stupid, which leads to him having to trade eyeballs uh, with a buffalo and with a mouse, and so he's got one eye huge and one eye tiny and doesn't see very well at all in the end. And his wife just says, well, you know, we don't all have to be remarkable you can just relax and be you. And so he stops his boasting, and the story is over. <laughs> and it's, it's one of my favorite stories. Um, uh, yeah. So what age? I don't think about a target when I'm writing, except with respect to the um, structure of the language that I'm using. I want my sentences to be easily readable. I don't want anybody to have to restart a sentence because it's got a garden path. So I am, in that sense, aiming for, I don't know, perhaps a middle-grade reader. Um, but many times, of course, there would be parents reading it to a five-year-old, or there could be teens, or there could be adults. So in the interest part of it, I'm pretty straightforward, and I will write things in a way that they can be understood um, at face value or they can be understood in a more sophisticated way if you are ready to understand them that way. Now, this, this book, it's uh, again, it's Treasury of Magical Tales from Around the World, and it literally is from around the world. There are stories from... Sri Lanka, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Angola, Palestine, Turkey, Russia, and, that, and that's not even half of the stories that are in here. Um, but as you were collecting these stories, how much of the stories reflect the country or culture where they come from? And were there common threads from culture to culture? Yeah. And I, I think whether you are focused on animals, whether you are focused on fairies or ogres or um, what kind of magic you're focused on may very well be part of your tradition in, in that place, in that culture. But over and over again, common themes came up. 
So ordinary people sitting around in the evening, perhaps, telling stories to each other, uh, uh, share a lot of the common concerns, which is how do you feed yourself? <laughs> um, how do you ho house yourself? Uh, sometimes there are dreams of what would it be like to be absurdly wealthy. Um, sometimes there are there are there's arguments which lead to something horrific and ridiculous happening. So two wives, a man has two wives, and um, one has a rooster she loves, and the other one wants that rooster, says it's really hers. And so she cuts it in half so they can each have half of it. And the wife who didn't love it eats it. But the other wife takes care of it. And we've got half a rooster alive running around um, and doing a lot of crazy things, but then eventually coming back to be with the wife who loved him, who took care of him. And they're not mean to the other wife. I mean, she is a pathetic figure in many ways, but they don't have to get their revenge on her. They just leave her alone. It, there, There is a, a lovely sense of um, resiliency and forgiveness, and, um, and we need to move on with life. Uh, I think that's really common across across the stories that I read around the world. Is there something that um, children will learn about the cultures where these stories come from, um, or are they just great stories regardless of the place they're set? Um, uh, I see, I hope they're good stories regardless of where they're set. What will children learn? Uh, who knows? But they're they will be presented over and over again with absolutely ordinary characters. Many of the um, tales that American children are raised with from Western uh, European tradition are about really wealthy people. There isn't a lot of that in this, this book. Most of the stories about are about really ordinary people. Um, there is a story about a prince who happens to think he's a turkey. <laughs> and I love that story, and I put it in, even though it was uh, um, these royal people, because there's nothing about them being royal that makes the story interesting. What makes the story interesting is, can I think I'm a turkey, and therefore can I behave like a turkey? And I think that that question is a very modern question. We have always had people who believed they were other than what the people who looked at them saw. Um, but it is only today that we're recognizing that we all have the right to live out who we believe we are and who we know we are. Um, and and I, I just love this story. It's, it's one of my favorites in the, in the volume. How many stories did you have to call to come up with the stories that are included in this book? Uh, so many. <laughs> I, I certainly went through hundreds of stories. 
And I presented the editor that I work with, who is marvelous. Um, Marfe is just a, a ridiculously good editor. She knows exactly how to keep me going and, um, and help me through moments of loss. Um, but uh, um, I must have presented her at the end with at least double or triple the number of stories that we could actually fit into the volume. And she took on the burden of trying to make sure that uh, no one story was too much like another, which is not an easy burden, <laughs> uh, not a light burden. So she was a big part of the selection process. What makes stories like these um, still accessible today, ancient or mythical tales? Yeah, I think uh, I think if a story is too much rooted in a place and time so that you don't know how to get into that place and time, and you can't then understand the character, that then you lose it. But these stories are not that way. What, what do I mean by that? Like, um, if something funny happens or something um, uh, really problematic happens today and you stand around and talk about it um, with other people from today in the same culture, they're going to laugh at the same things. They're going to have a whole range of the same kinds of possible solutions. But if that same thing were to happen in the Shangxi province in the north of China in the 1300s, people would not laugh at the same sorts of things, and they would not come up with the same kinds of solutions for problems. So you have to... What I aimed for was stories that were about things that would ring true to you no matter what time or place you're in so that you could have an understanding of why the characters then do what they do. So my stories are not, <laughs> yet you don't really need to know any of these other cultures in order to enjoy them, I hope. You know, the original grim fairy tales were just that. Some of them were pretty grim. And over the years, yeah. they've become sort of Disneyed, you know, sort of made a little bit more kid-friendly. But are there some some terrible things in some of these stories, since they're basically the original stories? And are, are kids frightened by those things, or should they experience them anyway? Um, I think uh, there's two questions going on there. One is about these stories, and one is about stories in general. Um, <clears throat> I think if a child opens a book and starts reading it and keeps reading it, there's something in that story that this child needs that is helping this child, satisfying this child in some way. So I'm not against, I, I, I am against censoring any kind of uh, book for a child. Um, let your children go with it. If it is inappropriate to them, 
they will shut the book. Uh, um, but you don't necessarily understand what is um, appropriate to your child. You don't necessarily know all the things that are happening um, to your child uh, because your child has a world outside the family. Your child also has a rich inner life and needs to deal with certain things. And a book is absolutely a safe place to deal with something. In, in a book, a child can see somebody managing under horrendous uh, conditions and still finding a way to survive and perhaps to survive in a decent way. And that's very reassuring, particularly to the child who is frightened of things. Um, however, uh, in this book, because it is separate stories, because there are stories of all different types, because I do not want someone to turn the page and suddenly find that they are in a different kind of book from what they thought when they bought it. Most people buy a book based on the beginning of it. They'll, they'll open it, start reading the first story. They'll decide whether or not to buy it. So I do not have any bombs, any um, landmines <laughs> hidden in the ground. Not at all. Um, I did not choose stories in which at the end of it um, somebody is burned or drowned or whatever, which is extremely common in um, in Western European stories. Uh, um, that's why there are so few European stories in here, um, but also because it's a global book. You, you go around the world. And with that... Um with that in mind, that these are from all over the world, um, are, are there, what is it that kids get from being exposed to stories from around the world, as opposed to um, the stories of, of their region or their cultural history? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you get plenty from both. But many of us, um, when I was a child, I grew up in an impoverished family. Um, uh, uh, I never traveled anywhere, never went anywhere. I saw a very small slice of life, except in books. Books took me uh. all over the place. Books opened my world. And I think that reading about different places... I hope this is a dream of mine. Um, it can't be my goal because I'm just a writer. I, I'm not their teacher. I'm just a writer. I just offer. Um, but my hope is that they will feel like people all over the world are very much the same, have very much the same fears and hopes and dreams that they have, and they will understand that we are a global community. We need to be a global community. If we are not a global community, this globe is doomed. Donna Joe, I mentioned when I was introducing you at the beginning of this conversation that you had written more than 80 books for children and young adults. And, and I really have a couple of questions I want to make sure we get to before we run out of time. One is, in this particular collection, how much of it 
um, was was written by you and how much of it was just a matter of sort of collecting and editing these stories to, to be included? Yeah. Um, uh, when you are retelling something, the plot is given to you. That, you know, that's a given. Um, however, often the characters, what makes them want to do what they do, that's not there in the original story. The original stories are often incredibly short, uh, very few details about place or time because they are already in a place and time. And those things uh, were given to the, to the audience. Um, all many details about what kind of fish are there in the sea? What kind of trees are around you? What mountains are you looking at? Um, those details I added to give my reader some sense of a place that they wouldn't have because they're not from there, whereas the people who were listening to the stories were from there, and they didn't need it. Their minds would automatically fill it in, would supply it and support the story. Um, so plots were given to me, but I, I gave characters and motivation and, um, and setting often, and Motivation, of course, is where I allowed myself uh, to deal with modern sensibilities. What do I know about the motivations of someone in 1300 in Hungary? <laughs> Not really very much, and there isn't much that you can read that would explain those motivations. So I'm imagining, and I am offering my take on it. Donna Joe, what's next for you? <laughs> um, uh, uh, a couple of things. I, I I have two things that I'm working on that are both dear to my heart. Uh, one is a story about Akbar, who was the third Mughal emperor of uh, India, the third Mughal emperor. Um, he is from. He was born in Afghanistan. He's amazing, and uh, I'm writing a novel in verse for young adults, and uh, it's in the hands of an, a publishing house right now. I don't know if they will accept it. I get plenty of letters of rejection, so who knows? Um, and I am just starting to work on another book with National Geographic, which is animal stories. Um, oh, I, if I had not been a writer, I would have been a naturalist. Mm. I'm crazy about animals and trees and all kinds of plants. Uh, and I'm having so much fun collecting these stories. These are from around the world. And here's where I can really um, do what I want to do as a writer, because often they're nothing but a two-line legend, you know, that um, a shark turned into the the galaxy, the Milky Way. Um, well, that's lovely. And uh, so I can write the story of how it happened. Uh, Donna Joe, I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do. It's my name.com. So my name is Donna Joe Napoli. D-O-N-N-A-J-O-N-A-P. 
N-A-P-O-L-I. Um, no dots, no capitals, just Donna Jo Napoli at gmail.com. Donna is my website. Well, the name of the book is, uh, let me make sure I get it right in front of me here, Treasury of Magical Tales from Around the World by Donna Jo Napoli. And, uh, and, and I wanted to mention uh, Christina Ballett, the illustrator. Oh, my God, yes. Christina is marvelous. Christina and I have been paired on all the National Geographic books so far, and boy, I hope this um, uh, partnership is continued in anything that I do with National Geographic. She is um, stunning. Her work is stunning, and she is such a smart illustrator. She works very hard to make sure that her details are, in fact, true um, and that they are coherent with the story well donna joe we have to end it there and i know you have uh, more conversations to have and and to move on to but i want to thank you for spending this time with me and the listeners and uh, um, wish you uh, good luck going forward keep up the good work thank you so much for having me and um goodbye sweet people in michigan <laughs> i love you take care Again, that was uh, Donna Jo Napoli, and uh, she has teamed up with National Geographic for a new collection of uh, stories for young readers, Treasury of Magical Tales from Around the World. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. One thing I do like being down there with the old people is it makes me feel like I'm little again, like a little kid. And when you're a kid, you can eat amazing amounts of food. And that, all, just candy. That's all I ate when I was a kid. The only thought I had growing up was get candy. That was my only thought in my brain for the 10 years of human life. Just get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy, get candy. Get candy. Family, friends, school, these were just obstacles in the way of getting more candy. That's why you have to teach kids not to take candy from strangers if they're playing in a playground. And they can barely understand it. Don't, no candy from strangers? All right, candy, strangers, no candy. All right, because otherwise I'm taking the candy anywhere I can get it. There's such candy moron, idiot brains. Just this man has candy, I'm going with him. Goodbye, I don't care what happens to me. Get candy, get candy, get candy. No, don't go. They'll torture you. They'll kidnap you. It doesn't matter. He has no Henry. I have to take that chance. Get candy, get candy, get candy. So the first time you hear the concept of Halloween when you're a kid, remember the first time you even heard about it? It's like, your brain can't even... What, what is this? Who's giving out candy? Someone's giving out candy? Who, who is giving out this candy? Everyone that we know is just giving out candy? I gotta be a part of this. Take me with you. I, I want to do it. I'll do anything that they want. I can wear that. I'll wear anything I have to wear. I'll do anything I have to do. I will get the candy from these fools that are so stupidly giving it away. So the first couple of years, I made my own costume. They, of course, sucked. Ghost, hobo, no good. So I'm begging the parents, you gotta get me one of the ones from the store, the cardboard box, the cellophane top. So one year, third year, finally got it. Superman costume, not surprisingly. Mask included in the set. Remember the rubber band on the back of that mask? That was a quality item there, wasn't it? It was good for about 10 seconds before it snapped out of that cheap little staple they put it in there with. Thinnest gray rubber in the world. You go to your first house, trick or snap, it broke, I don't believe it. Wait up, I gotta fix it, you guys. Come on. Wait up. That's a good thing. Wait up. Kids don't want other kids to wait. 
They must wait up. You wait up. Because when your little life is up, you're growing up, everything is up. Wait up, hold up, shut up. Mom, I'll clean up. Let me stay up. Parents, of course, just the opposite. Just calm down. <laughs> Slow down. Come down here, sit down, put that down. You are grounded. And keep it down in there. So I had my Superman Halloween costume. I was physically ready, I was mentally prepared. And I assume when I put this costume on, I would probably look exactly <laughs> like the Superman I had come to know on television and in the movies. Now you remember these costumes, it's not exactly the super fit that you are hoping for. You look more like you're wearing Superman's pajamas is what you look like. It's all loose and flowing. Neckline kind of comes down to about there. <laughs> you got that flimsy little ribbon string holding it together in the back. Plus my mother makes me wear my winter coat over the costume anyway. Call Superman wearing a jacket. <laughs> so you're going out there, you know, and the mask keeps breaking. So the rubber band keeps getting shorter. I'm keep makes gets tighter and tighter on your face. You can't even see. You're trying to breathe through that. Remember that little hole that gets all sweaty in there? <laughs> and the mask starts slicing into your eyeballs. I can't see, I can't breathe, but we gotta get the candy. Let's keep going. And a half hour into it, you take that mask, oh, the hell with it. <laughs> Bing bong, yeah, it's me, give me that candy. I'm Superman, look at the pant legs, what the hell's the difference? Remember those last few Halloweens, getting a little too old for it. Just kind of going through the motions. Bing bong, come on lady, let's go. <laughs> Halloween, doorbells, candy, let's pick up the pace in there. You come to the door, they always ask you those same stupid questions. What are you supposed to be? I'm supposed to be done by now. You wanna move it along with the Three Musketeers? I got 18 houses on this block alone. You just hit the bag, we hit the road. That's the routine, let's just pick it up. Sometimes they give you that little white bag twisted on the top. You know that's gonna be some crap candy. <laughs> it's gotta have those official Halloween markings on it. Hold it, lady, wait a second. What is this, the orange marshmallow shaped like a big peanut? Do me a favor, you keep that one. <laughs> yeah, we got all the door stops we need already. Thank you very much. <laughs> We're going for name candy only this year. And I think about how I used to eat when I was a kid. How I would, I remember Halloween, I would get, you know, I would have like a punch bowl and I would fill it with candy. The top of it would be curved. That's how much candy would, I would consume that entire punch bowl that night. Next day, feel fantastic. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
of today, we're all inclined to miss. Little things that mean so much. A word, a smile, a kiss. When a woman loves a man, he's a hero in her eyes. And a hero he can always be, if you'll just realize. She may be weary. Women do get weary. Wearing the same shabby dress. And when she's weary, try a little tenderness. You know she's waiting. Just anticipating things she may never possess. While she's without them, try a little tenderness. Well, that wraps it up for today's uh, pre-Halloween edition of the Tom Sumner program. Sorry we didn't get to the uh, Otto Preminger, but that's been rescheduled, and we will uh, have that coming up soon. But uh, thanks to the guests that we did have, I want to say thanks to Donna Joan Napoli, uh, who teamed up with National Geographic for the treasury of magical tales from around the world. And before that, back-to-back Hitchcock starting with um, Paula Morantz Cohen and her uh, biography of Alfred Hitchcock, The Legacy of Victorianism, and uh, John Bilheimer, author of Hitchcock and the Censors. And uh, we have a special bonus edition of the Tom Sumner program, online only Sunday for Halloween. It's all old-time radio, including the original War of the Worlds, and some remakes uh, of Flash Gordon and the Inner Sanctum from the Tom Sumner Program studio players. A few more little Halloween goodies in there. But uh, have, have a great weekend, everybody. I'll be back with a regular edition of the show on Monday. The Good night. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and pencil sketch recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. 
This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.